0: Episode 74 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Trump knew. We now know he knew. Why is he still holding rallies? Let's start the show.
1: We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The
0: people are looking for honest answers,
1: not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clearly, to shift. And we are, as a people, not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation a of the ballot, not the bullet, and the secret proceedings. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth.
0: I mean, he had to know who Bob Woodward was, right? We all know he doesn't read or he pretends not to read. Listening to that interview with Bob Woodward makes me think that maybe he did read a little bit. Maybe he had a little bit more knowledge than he gives him credit for. Of course, he just doesn't use the knowledge to help the American people, which is, I think, worse than being dumb, Uh, more unforgivable, if you ask me. But But he, you know... He had to know who he was dealing with, right? Bob Woodward is famous for bringing down a president and writing books critical of multiple presidents of both parties, by the way, he had to know who Bob Woodward was. I mean, even if he didn't read and let's, you know, let's go with that theory that Trump doesn't read, which we all like to to talk about because he's so dumb, which he's really not. He just, he just doesn't care. You know, I don't want to call him dumb anymore. He just doesn't care. But let's go with that for a minute, just for, just for effect, right? Well, go for it, go for it. He doesn't read. Well, there was a pretty popular movie called All the President's Men, where Robert Redford played Bob Woodward, and they took down the president of the United States in that movie. Now, it came out in the 70s during Trump's personal Vietnam of avoiding VD in the New York City dating scene. So you would think he would have been hitting on women who would have liked to go to an intellectual movie like that. I think it, was, I think it won the Oscar, all the presidents been on it. If I, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn, or email me. You, you go to ChristopherHahn.com for that. Um, he had to know who this guy was. How his staff let him have 18 hours alone with the president. I mean, sometimes late at night, they would connect on the phone late at night. The president is such a star effer. He thought, oh my God, Bob Woodward writing a book about me. And he, he, he blamed his staff. Bob Woodward has already written a book about Donald Trump, by the way. Two years ago, it came out. He's already written one. It was highly critical of Donald Trump, it, you know, Completely critical, obviously impeccably sourced by people within the White House. Bob Woodward is 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 no slouch. The American people know this. People who, who know anything about journalism know that Bob Woodward is a uh an, an awesome journalist who impeccably sources everything he writes. He brought down a president. Let's not forget this. Okay? This is a guy who's already written a book about this president. And Donald Trump thought that book came out bad because he didn't sit with an interview for him because his staff, which, you know, it was like the first year and a half of his administration. So he still had General Kelly there. Um, Reince Priebus might have been around early in the uh, game. You know, a few people that could say, Mr. President, this is a bad idea. And he would listen to them. He blamed them for the book coming out bad. And he thought that he could charm Bob Woodward. Bob freaking Woodward. Okay. He thought he could charm him. He thought, no, no, wait. What was missing from that last book was 19 hours with Trump. 19 hours of Trump rambling on about dictators and about what he knew and when he knew it about COVID-19. Early in February, February 8th. February 6th, I'm sorry. And he actually learned about it in January. And he was saying to Bob Woodward, it's worse than we think. Worse than the flu. And in the entire month of February, he did nothing to stop it. Nothing. Okay, let's be clear here. He knew in the beginning of February, yet all through February, he kept on having rallies. He called the reaction to covid a democratic hoax by the media. That's what he did. And, you know, I don't want to say he called COVID a hoax. I know that my right wing friends will say he never called COVID a hoax. He said that the media was a hoax, but he did say the media was overreacting and it was a hoax. A, a, a democratic hoax. He knew. And he did nothing about it. Also, the thing he likes to take the most credit for, stopping travel from from China, was Dr. Fauci's idea. And Trump hemmed and hawed about it and then said yes. We learned that in this book, too. It was Fauci's idea. Didn't work, but it was his idea. I mean, this this is where we are as a country, right? We have all of these things going on. And I've been hearing from a lot of you this week. A lot of friends calling me up, texting me, emailing me. People here that followers of the pod have been reaching out. And I really, by the way, I love it. So keep doing it. Um, been reaching out and they're all freaked out about the polls. Oh, the polls are tight. No Latinos uh, in Florida are, are not supporting Joe Biden the same way they supported Hillary Clinton. I looked at that poll. Um, it's not a bad poll. But I do think that it was heavy on Cubans in its Latino population. And we all know that Cubans in Florida are Republicans. They are Republicans like any other Republican in the country. They have the same tribal instincts as any other Republicans. I do not believe that that number will hold up. I think that first of all, I think Donald, I think Joe Biden's going to win Florida. I've said this and I'm going to say it again. He's going to win Florida and they're going to call it on election night. Write it down. It will happen. And Mike Bloomberg going to Florida with a hundred million bucks in his pocket to spend on media for Joe Biden on his own independently is going to go a long way. Now there are you know there are stories in Politico and other places. I'm sure you've seen them. If you're listening to this podcast, you're way in the weeds on politics. But there's a story on Politico about all the disinformation going out in Spanish language, uh, you know, media, including Spanish language conservative media in Florida, and some of it is bonkers. This $100 million will combat that. It will remind uh, Latinos in Florida. And by the way, there are a lot of Cubans in Florida. You're not going to convince many of them. From what I understand, though, second generation, third generation Cubans now that live in Florida are not voting Republican anymore. So I don't know how much of that was captured. I know this from people on the ground there that I've talked to. Not, you know, I'm not saying that they're be, they've, they've, they've switched to Democrat. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is they are no, no longer as indebted to the Republican Party as their parents and grandparents were. I mean, they they view Ronald Reagan, quite frankly, as a savior uh, for, a you know, for a good reason. I mean, he 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 made it so that you could come here. Right. Um, They're not as afraid of socialism as their parents were, and they're not buying the argument that, you know, Joe Biden's a socialist. But spending that money to combat this in, in Florida will help. And there are large pockets pockets of Puerto Ricans, El Salvadorians, and other Latinos in uh, from different parts of the world in Florida. And there's a huge influx of Puerto Ricans that have moved there in the last four years. Huge influx uh, because of all the financial troubles going on in Puerto Rico. And then, you know, that was made worse by Hurricane Maria that hit during the Trump presidency. Okay. Okay. During the Trump presidency. So, you know, you're Mike Bloomberg. You're spending $100 million. You might want to put some ads up in the I-4 corridor about Hurricane Maria and Donald Trump throwing paper towels to Puerto Ricans, some of whom left after that and came to Florida. That's where they came. A large, large portion of them. Look, it's close. The weather is similar. Um and, and Florida is a booming state. It really is. As far as population, it's, it's really growing. It's grown by leaps and bounds. I think they're going to get another Congress member, uh, after this census, maybe two. So it is, uh, it, it is my opinion that those voters that were captured in this poll are heavily Cuban. So don't worry about it. I find it hard to believe that Don, that, that, that you know joe biden's going to underperform hillary clinton in any demographic especially latinos so you know we'll figure this out and and look uh, i still think and i believe and i'm keeping my word here it will be called by 11:30 p.m. eastern time cuz i know florida is in two time zones it's in the eastern and the central uh it will be called by 11:30 p.m. eastern time the state of florida okay don't worry about it now. I hope I could be wrong, but I eleven thirty, give or take. It's gonna happen. Don't fret. I mean, we've just scratched the surface of this Bob Woodward book. Okay, we haven't heard all. He's got eighteen hours of tapes. What else is in there? I, I'm buying the book. I hope it comes with the tapes because I want to listen to the tapes. I mean, you know me. I'm an audio guy, right? I'm here. I am. I'm doing a podcast. I'm an audio guy. I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear. The actual conversation. I want to hear him talking to Trump. I mean, from what I heard so far, it just sounds I, like I can't believe it. He's he's having conversations about his relationship with Kim Jong-un, about how Kim Jong-un told him in graphic detail about how he killed his uncle. I, I, I mean how is the president of the United States engaging in such conversations? That makes no sense to me. It shouldn't make any sense to you. And voters who hear it should be shocked. Now, this would all be shocking, right? If this was a president who didn't have a scandal like this every single day. you know how many scandals there were last week that we didn't even talk about? I mean, Bill Barr deciding that the Justice Department's going to defend Donald Trump in a lawsuit brought on by a woman who claims he raped her? Are you kidding me? How is that How is that something the United States taxpayers should be paying for? Because he denied the claim uh, while he was president? And he did it in the scope of his office? That, that means anything he does, he does in the scope of his office. That makes no sense to me as an attorney. No sense. It's ridiculous. That was a scandal. This guy, uh, uh, the, uh, the U.S. Attorney Durham, who is working on an investigation of, uh, of the investigators who, who you know, were, sp- quote, spying on Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. Well, he's going to come out with a report prior to the election. And his top deputy resigned on Thursday, on Wednesday night, actually, because of pressure from Maine Justice, particularly Attorney General Barr To get this report out, this highly political report will come out prior to the election. Now, you mark my words, America. They think they're running the 2016 campaign again. They're trying all the same things, okay? They're trying all the same things. There will definitely be a Bill Barr October surprise. You mark my words, Ron Johnson's committee will come out with something about Hunter Biden. Bill Barr will name Joe Biden as an unindicted co-conspirator in something. You watch. That's their play. But you know what? I think that's baked into the cake. I don't think people believe these guys anymore, and I'm not worried about it. Not worried about it, neither should you. I know you're out there. You're watching the polls. Oh, my God, Biden went from eight to seven and a half in the real clear politics average. 538 has him only as a 76% chance of winning. I hear those. I get those calls, man. I get them. Okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. He's going to win. He's going to win this election. Right track, wrong track. That's the number you should look at. When wrong track is above 70, uh, how do you vote for the same guy? I'm looking at polls. You know, Donald Trump's entire campaign's on law and order. Well, guess what? He's losing on law and order to suburban women who he needs to win. Losing, (laughs) okay? He's not getting there. He's not winning that issue. He spent the entire month of August saying that Wisconsin's going to happen all over America because of what was going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He's losing Wisconsin by 10 points. He's losing Arizona by 7 points. Yeah, Pennsylvania's close. New Hampshire's close. Minnesota's not close, and I'm telling you he's going to win Florida. And I think he's going to win other states that we're not even thinking about. I still think that there's a chance to go to Texas. I think Bloomberg should take some of that money and go to Texas. Give another $100 million to Texas. What's it to Bloomberg? He's worth $60 billion. He said he'd spend a billion dollars here. Go throw some money into Texas and see what happens. Because if we could, t- if we could take Texas, that's the end of the Republican Party for a generation. Period. If you could flip that state. And I wish Mike Bloomberg, and I know, look, I've got a very good friend who is very close to Mike Bloomberg, who I know sometimes listens to this podcast. So I'm talking directly to you. Spend some money in Texas, sir. Spend some money in Texas. Make Trump, whose funds are not quite as robust as we thought they'd be at this point, make him spend some time and money defending that big state. It would be really cool if one of these billionaires who hate Donald Trump would spend a hundred or two hundred million dollars trying to turn Texas blue this year, because I think Texas could turn blue this year. Every poll I've seen in Texas has Trump under fifty percent and Biden either up one or within one. So it is very clear to me that Texas is in play, and with the amount with the, with the right amount of resources in there, it'll be a very close race. But even if you don't win it. If you get him to have to fight there to defend it, oh boy. Does he even have the resources to do it? The guy raised over a billion dollars and was short on cash. Like, how is that possible? See, this is the thing. Not only is he bankrupting this company, this country, he's and bankrupt every company he's ever owned, he's bankrupt his own campaign. And they're not raising as much money. Joe Biden outraised him by $150 million in August. If Joe Biden has another, if September is as good as uh as August was, and you know, September's tend to be better than August for political fundraising. He should take 60 million of his own money and put it into Texas. He'll have it. <laughs> Why not? Let's see what happens. I mean, Beto O'Rourke barely lost. Barely. Okay? Barely lost. Joe Biden is a known commodity. People know who he is. Hard to lie about Joe Biden. And I get it. They're trying. They're doing everything they can. But hard to lie. And when you're, you know, underwater with senior citizens because you clearly don't care if they live or die, it becomes harder and harder to win. So we'll see. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a... um, I think it's going to be a victory in November, and I'm not worried about any of those polls, and I know a lot of you are, but tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn, on Twitter. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. Go to ChristopherHahn.com. I've been getting a lot. I appreciate it, and I also appreciate the support, man. We have been rolling uh, with downloads, so keep telling your friends to download this podcast. Uh, Hopefully, it'll help you get through this election. So i got a great guest coming up. Joel Rubin uh, is an aide on the Joe Biden campaign. Um, and he's a pretty cool guy. Used to be the, uh, the Assistant Deputy Secretary of State under Barack Obama. Uh, he's had all sorts of great jobs. You probably have seen him on television as well. He does all sorts of television. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to having him. So uh, listen to this, and I'll be right back with Joel Rubin. Joining me now is Joel Rubin. He is a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State under President Barack Obama, who, at the beginning of the 2020 campaign season, was a senior aide to the Bernie Sanders campaign and is now a full-throated supporter of our man Joe Biden. Joel, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Did I get
0: that introduction right? Beautiful. (laughs) Perfect. Excellent. So Joel, I mean, I you know, there are a million things I could talk to you about and uh, you know, we got a little bit of time here. Uh, but I wanna start with, you know, look, one of the things I am most concerned about is uh people who supported Bernie, uh just staying home and not being involved and not voting or or voting for Trump even, which happened somewhat in twenty sixteen. Um and and you're the perfect example of a guy who said, Look, I was with Bernie, uh I thought Bernie was the right guy. And now I'm with Biden. And I would love for you to just kind of tell me your story and how you came to that.
1: Thanks. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, if uh, if anyone needs any evidence of the danger of staying home, don't look too far back in the past. 2016 was a nightmare and we're all still living through it. So for me and for progressives, there's really no choice. It's a binary election, right? I mean, this is this is an American democracy. We've got two candidates on a ticket that can win. And for progressives to get our priorities through, we got to go with our side and we have to go with Joe Biden because he is uh, the candidate who's going to put our people in in jobs, move our agenda, move our move our ideas. And, you know, I think that that's a a very it's a very practical way of looking at it. But there's also a lot of idealism in it. If you believe in American democracy, the beauty of running in this primary and, and I, you know, I was the staffer to Sarah Sanders campaign. It was a phenomenal Time, uh, we we put it all out there. We we fought hard, and we weren't the only candidate to fight hard. But clearly, uh, it was an intense fight in that primary. But one goes into a primary knowing that eventually there will be a singular winner, right? And as Senator Sanders did after he decided it was time for him to suspend his campaign, he endorsed the winner. Yeah. And th- and that's how American democracy works. And that's why I'm so optimistic about a future with Joe Biden in the White House because he also respects the people who he beat. Yeah. And he's brought them in. And so, so that's really why. Why I mean, there's so many layers to this. And, and
0: I've had a conversation. Really Stephanie Kelton on. is a friend of mine. Uh, you probably worked with her on the Biden, on the Bernie campaign, and and she was like his top economic advisor, and, and she's supporting Biden and, and and working to try to help Biden shape his economic agenda. Um, and and, and I think exactly what you say. And Bernie's credit, he he came out quickly and strongly for
1: Biden. He did, and you know, he set up these working groups to explore. A half dozen core policy areas that matter to Americans, that matter to progressives, issues like criminal justice reform, the environment, health care, the economy, uh, the the bread and butter of what we're all fighting for to make a better society here in America. Joe Biden was right there and said, let's do it. And he partnered with Bernie and the people on the teams, organized and worked and built ultimately a platform that that was something that we should all be proud of, the most progressive platform ever uh, run on by a, a major party nominee for president. And, you know, I handled the Jewish file. I was the, the Jewish outreach director yep. on the policy team. And there's a lot of politics in the Jewish world. And uh, I am very, very proud of the work that the Biden campaign is doing to engage all layers of the Jewish political world and to to message in ways that are so refreshing compared to what we're seeing right now out of the white. Now, House. Now, like how
0: that. is that going? You know, like I'm half Jewish. Obviously, I work for Chuck Schumer. For six years, so I have a, a very well, that makes you fully <laughs> Jewish, exactly right. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely Jewish when I go out for breakfast, uh, but it's it's a it's a um, you know I know how complex yeah. and diverse uh, the Jewish population is. I mean, here in New York. You have uh, predominantly liberal Jews, but there are definitely some pockets in New York State, like in places like Curious Joel and others where there are real conservative Jewish groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're seeing that like like you know Jews in Florida don't necessarily see the world the same way as Jews in New York did, even though most of them are from the tri-state area originally. Uh, what, how are you seeing how the, how do you feel that this is going in that regard?
1: Jews are, are in an incredible electoral position right now where, where we are actually significant. Uh, uh, voting populations in key swing states. Yeah, you mentioned one. You mentioned Florida. There's Pennsylvania, uh, in, in Arizona, in Arizona. Yeah, large chunks of populations, and so the, the outreach to the Jewish community has been robust, and I, I think it's 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 been really strong. You see, with Joe Biden, there are a couple messages that he focuses on, not because they're poll tested, but because they're genuine to him. And right. the big one is the 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 fight for the soul of our country and combating white supremacy and white nationalism. And, and, and for Jews, the, our concerns right now about the rise in hate speech against mm. communities, yeah. the rising anti-Semitism—you know, I'm originally from Pittsburgh. My parents were at the Tree of Life Synagogue, the Shabbat, the Friday night before wow. things there. Wow. I'm friends with the guy who was the synagogue's president. Wow. Uh, it's personal to us.
0: Yeah, so I mean, my I- grandparents are, are Holocaust. Well, they're dead now. They just died— my grandfather died three years ago, but Holocaust survivors, you know, I mean, so we've this, grown up with this, like understanding you can't let hate speech flourish.
1: And, and so for Joe Biden, you know, American Jews vote actually on issues that the broad American community votes on, uh, health care, the environment, the economy. But there is a, there are a couple of distinctions. And, and anti-Semitism is rising to the top of concerns with yeah. the community. Israel is always an important threshold, but it's not a critical voting issue for the American Jewish community. It's a threshold issue. But uh, these other issues and the anti-Semitism one, there's such a clear difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump that for American Jews. Right. Choice is extraordinarily clear. Trump
0: sure does think that Israel is a major issue. I mean, it seems of all the issues that Jews yeah. care about that I'm aware of, the only issue he seemed to have any focus on at all is Israel.
1: Well, he's digging deep on that one, and, and he's pulling out all the stops. But I, I actually think that his Israel policy is targeted at the, the evangelical right, that yeah. the American Jewish community. And uh, when Mike Pompeo uh, shamelessly made a speech shamelessly the, the RNC yeah. I mean, from Jerusalem, he wasn't speaking to the Jewish community. He, because for us, the majority of American Jews wanted the embassy, the American embassy, to move to Jerusalem in the context of peace with the Palestinians, right. poll after poll. Uh, Pompeo—he ignored that. He was going for the the religious right and the Republican base, and and so using Israel as a political football is is very obnoxious to the American Jewish here as well.
0: Well, I hope so. And uh, your your lips to God's ear, because this guy is without a doubt pandering away uh, with issues of Israel for sure. Moving the moving the uh, embassy, etc., which you know I think a lot of Jews cheered. Yeah. Uh, But it is it is a you know, there is a clear pander going on here. And Benjamin Netanyahu, you talk about people interfering with an election. uh, There's a guy who might be doing some work there, too.
1: I mean, the 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 Jewish community right now is looking at Israel and we're seeing a country that uh, is in many ways having a leader that mirrors that mirrors Donald Trump. Yeah. And uh, it's very uncomfortable for a large segment of the American Jewish community. But again, going to the voting at the end of the day, American Jews vote on issues that matter to us here at home, uh, and 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 matter. We care about our our social security. We care about our health care. We care about our economy and our schools. We care about the environment. That's yep. what poll after poll shows, and and that's why I think Joe Biden has such a strong hand uh, with the Jewish community and Democrats overall.
0: Good stuff. So Joel. Um you know, let me talk a little bit about these Bob Woodward tapes. I mean, the president gives an interview to Bob freaking Woodward <laughs> I mean, for 18 hours, and there's plenty of stuff in there. We've all talked about COVID-19. I think getting lost in the conversation is the the disclosure of sensitive national security matters in these tapes that the president just bragged about.
1: That is the most underreported, frightening story of this entire disgusting episode and and you know the president's ego it clearly got the best of him I it's obvious he never has read a Bob Woodward Woodward book amazing right He's known <laughs> to not have run his mouth like he did uh, and and uh, but he did and he gave it to us and he probably tipped off to China and Russia and Iran and our adversaries around the world uh, uh, a, a core national security initiative by the United States that I have no awareness into but that is deeply dangerous for, uh, for others to know about. And it, it can instigate another arms race. It oh. can create a dynamic in negotiations on nuclear weapons with Russia that puts us in a more defensive position. It can essentially, uh, he's handing over the secrets to the most sensitive issues, the most sensitive work of the U.S. government to the public on a lark for no reason, for no benefit. It's, it, it, would, it would be fireable and jailable most people were yeah. government to do that yeah
0: you would think that after running a campaign for you know president four years ago where all he did was bash this you know hillary clinton for using a private server in violation of state department <laughs> ethics rules i guess uh and and claiming she violated some sort of national security you think he'd be more careful with national security secrets i wouldn't be surprised joel if this guy had the same conversation with kim jong-un about these weapon systems I would have no no doubt that he would have that, that conversation.
1: And, 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 and as a, a card-carrying member of the American national security community, I'll say that we have been uh, for years now flummoxed by not knowing what he and Putin have talked about under multiple conversations, their two-hour meeting yeah. where there was only a note-taker and they won't allow the notes to be shared. Uh, what has he told Putin? Maybe he told Bob Woodward about this system because he's already told Putin. Yeah. Who knows? But um, it's it's... It's the kind of trafficking in, in uh, uh, light, light, light-hearted, uh, in, in sort of a light touch about the importance of national security that makes us uh, stay up late at night. And, and I think that we have a president here who basically views the government as his own personal property. He's not a custodian. He thinks he's the owner, but he works for us, and he's not treating it like that, and that's very dangerous for all of us. He,
0: he is just clearly – you know, look, he, he loves to brag – He's got this problem, this mental problem, this love-me-daddy problem, I call it, that he feels that he needs validation. I think that's why he did 18 hours of interviews with Bob Woodward, and that's why I think he'd be bragging to somebody like a Putin. Or Kim Jong Un, you know, love me, daddy. She, look at look what I got. Look at me. Look at me. He's been like, look, I'm a New Yorker, Joel. I mean, I know you grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up in New York. I grew up with this guy, you know, yeah. you know, in the papers when I was a teenager, bragging about his girlfriends, bragging about his cars, bragging about his lifestyle. Now he's bragging about the missile systems he's
1: creating. It's not safe. It's not safe. And what he's doing is he's basically so deeply insecure. And I think Mary Trump uh, talked about this quite a bit, too, but so deeply insecure that he's willing to spill national security secrets to a reporter just to kind of point to that reporter. Hey, I know something you don't. Yeah, this is this is um, this is something that uh, the American people, we need to have confidence that our leaders actually take care of us, that they are worried about our security. We don't need to know That we have a president who is gaslighting us and lying to us about the dangers of the coronavirus, for example, and allowing Americans to walk in the street unprotected because he's told them they don't have to worry about it in the air. These kinds of things, uh, he just doesn't take the job seriously.
0: I think he got mad at me last night when I said that uh, he killed Herman Cain. (laughs) It's like, you know, his feeling on on coronavirus having a rally when you know it's deadly and can spread through the air. Herman Cain's dead now. You know, it's your fault. So are, you know, 300,000 people contracted coronavirus probably from the Sturgis rally, which you encouraged.
1: No, but but he got Herman Cain probably to sign the waiver, so he's not really at fault. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forget he, about that. He signed
0: a non disclosure agreement, probably, <laughs> to be able to talk about things when he became uh, one of the board members of the Federal Reserve in Kansas City. It, it's sickening to me.
1: It is. And and I think uh, Americans, you know, we, we have to view the coronavirus failure as a national security catastrophe. It is uh, exactly that. Uh, imagine if we had an invading army. Oh, let's say, like what Donald Trump likes to say, an invading army coming from Mexico. Right. They were hitting into Texas and hitting in. And he got up to the podium and he said, Nothing's happening. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yes. Yeah. No worries. And they keep on hitting. And then one day we wake up and. Hundred thousand Americans are dead. We're
0: closing you know, up on that's closing 4%. in on two hundred thousand deaths. We're having a nine eleven in this country every three days. Every
1: day. Yeah, and it, you know you're New York. Yeah, and the psychology, the, the impact on our society. We haven't even barely begun to scratch the surface of that. It
0: is it is terrifying to me that we live in this moment right now, which is so dangerous and so treacherous, and we have this incompetent idiot at the at the helm of our nation, um, you know, steering national policy and encouraging his secretaries to not even work on intelligence that disagrees with his political worldviews.
1: Um, he has so uh, distorted the way the information is moved and flows and decisions are made that literally it's like a moronic episode happening right now in the white house. Decisions are not made by analytic thought and coordination and understanding facts. Decisions are made directly by his yeah. self-interest. His gut. His gut. His
0: gut. And his self-interest for sure. And and if his gut changes, this is why the RNC didn't have a platform. Their platform is whatever Trump says it is. I mean, they, they literally stand for nothing other than what this guy thinks in the morning. So God help us if Fox and Friends wake up with a bad day and they you know decide that they want to invade a country because we might be invading it later in the
1: day you know or are, are we won't if somebody pays them not to yeah. and i think that's that's where the corruption concerns come as well yeah. the corruption of the system and and the personal corruption uh, it's something that that we we just we're not accustomed to here but you know I, i've worked in foreign policy for a number of years and it happens all around the world families take power of governments, and they they corrupt the offices they still have constitutions in those yep. countries but they're 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 fake Uh, In terms of how they're they're followed, yeah, and the kleptocracy occurs all around the world, and that's got to change in this election. It's got to change. Literally, the line we're running up against. So
0: you know, it's it's you know, we're getting into crunch time with the election, and it clearly, you know, I I don't want to get too much detail, uh, but uh, I think the fundraising has been going great. I think if they have another month like this, um, and Trump has another month, pathetic month like he just had. I mean, you know, pathetic, you know. Eight ten years ago would have been the best year a presidential candidate had. We're saying it's pathetic right now. Um, Half
1: the money's going to his legal bills. Y-
0: it's amazing to me that they're out of money, right? It's amazing to me that they they raised $1.1 $1. $1 billion before this year even started, and they, they've spent it all and for nothing.
1: I'm sorry. It's a Steve Bannon scheme in bigger form. It, yeah. It, 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 who knows how many kickbacks are underway right now? This, it's just... God knows what the receipts look like.
0: All, all the money's going to rent at Trump Properties. I, I would I would have no doubt in my mind that there are a lot of Trump Properties getting rent from the campaign right now uh, across God. the country. God help us. Um, you know, he, he's going to have enough money to start an airline again when this is over, Trump Air. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, so another thing that'll fail. Um <laughs> But you know, I, I have been saying, and, and I know you're not in this end of the family, so if you don't want to answer this question, please don't. I have been saying for the last two months that I believe that Texas and Georgia are clearly in play this year. And if the campaigns have the resources, they need to spend some there. Now, I don't think this month you have the resources, but if you have another month like this, where you're raking $360 million or even over $300 million, and the numbers in Texas remain... Dead even, basically, and with Trump well under 50. Don't you think Texas is worth a shot in the dark here?
1: People who watch Texas are desperately, desperately close right now to seeing that state flip. And if we flip Texas...
0: It's the end of the world for them. It's the end of
1: the world. It's like when California flipped in the mid-90s, you and I can remember back then, that changed electoral politics across the country. Yeah. And now it's a blue state, but I remember when it was a red state. Yeah, Reagan. Reagan. So, so yes, Texas is certainly in play. Beto a few years ago showed that it was narrow, and it's about turnout. This election is all about turnout. Yeah, and 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 the Latino population in particular should be uh, 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 pulled out of <laughs> to the voting booth at levels. They should be motivated and coming out at levels uh, unseen before. That yeah. should be the, the the goal here. So certainly. Uh, uh, Texas, it, it, it not only should it be in play, but it should be a priority. But, you know, th- you get nervous, right? Cause it's an expensive
0: remember, for- state. I mean, you got some big markets, and it's a huge state. I mean, it's a huge state with three major television markets. I know how expensive it is. You know,
1: it's, it, it's, it, it, it is, but it, it, it is, it is something that if we're, you know, and, and I, I don't uh, clearly run the campaign. I mean, the, the tactics are critical in terms of thinking about where to put the money. But can Trump, ha- should Trump have to defend Texas and spend slash waste tons of resources on a state that he should have? And that's something that I think is is uh, is is a pretty enticing uh, uh, tactic as well. But I, I agree with you. I think Texas, I think George also two Senate seats up for grabs. Yep. Uh, some Good candidates there. There's a real, real chance. I mean, we we basically won the governorship, uh, Stacey Abrams, did, yep. but, but had it stolen from her.
0: And they've registered so, 750,000 yeah. people since then. 750,000. That's crazy.
1: And so that's why I think we see voter suppression as a primary uh, electoral tactic of, of the Republican Party today. You know, the last thing they want are to have people come out and vote. And certainly they don't want mail-in balloting, and they don't want those ballots to be counted, and, you know, layer after layer after layer. And so uh, uh, voter protection, uh, ensuring that all the votes are counted, ensuring that people have access to the polls if they want to go in person, all these things are really critical to ensuring victory. And that's why the money is so valuable, because when you have that kind of money, like $365 million in one yeah. month, you can put it into those Secondary efforts that are not direct voter contact, but that will ensure that votes are actually. I
0: mean, Texas and Georgia, that's going to cost you another $80 million. Just to play in the last month there, I mean to seriously play there and to to play to win, right? I mean, we could. Joe Biden made a, a small buy in Texas a couple of weeks ago, just for effect, I think. Uh, but to really get invested in Texas, you're talking about you know you're talking about eighty million dollars, sixty million dollars for one month in Texas, and
1: and, and this is where the trade offs have to happen, which is 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 the marginal benefit of getting Texas greater in terms of dollars than uh, is it, than compared to Wisconsin or Minnesota, right. Right. those closer, and they certainly are cheaper. Yeah. But but goodness gracious, if we can get a wave of some sort and include Texas in that, I mean, uh, and we get the Senate, you know, knock on wood, yeah. uh, we can really get out. Think about
0: how good it would be for my career if we take the Senate. I mean, I would no longer be a former A2 minority <laughs> leader Chuck Schumer. I'd be former A2 majority leader Chuck Schumer. Uh, things would be good for me. <laughs> but
1: I think I think you'd still support the filibuster, right? <laughs>
0: uh, no, I would not. I don't support the filibuster. I don't even support the Senate anymore, frankly. I am I am a, I'm a believer that the Senate needs to be completely reformed and thrown out, uh, you know, or changed so that you know you get one senator for every three members of the House or something like that. And if you don't have three members of the House, you gotta you gotta work with other states to get your senators. It's it's this is just a, this You're is the radical. Se- the a radical. Senate is it, to me the worst thing the founders ever came up with right well, now it, it may have worked it may have been the cooling saucer of uh, of the republic for the last 250 years but now it's leading to minority rule in the republic and i think that that's we've had enough
1: well i think what we're witnessing with the senate and i, I served in the senate as an aide a number of years ago and, and what we're seeing with trump is that there are norms that always guided that institution and the presidency yeah but they were just norms right they weren't laws or hard rules written down and when you have people of ill will taking power and violating norms, they can break the institutions. Now we, we want to throw out the Senate, but it's not the Senate's fault. It's, it's the people who were elected to the Senate who are destroying the Senate from within. And so it's, it's, it's very disappointing because I think
0: it, the, it boils to down to this. Republicans just have no moral compass. They're all about power. They know that they're a party that's about to be done because the demographics of this country are trending away from them. They haven't won a majority vote in this in this country nationally, you know, in, in a decade and a half now. Correct. And they're and they're and they see it, the writing on the wall. So they're using voter suppression and the Senate and other things to try to hold on to whatever little power they have left.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's really anti-democratic.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, unless we could somehow create rules that don't allow that to happen, one of them has got to be the filibuster has got to go. Um, you know, we, we've we've got to change things. Well, you know, look, it'd be great if we let Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico become states and we have some some more representation of people who are unrepresented in this You country.
1: mean rather than trading Puerto Rico for Greenland?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't understand that deal either. Joel, I'm pretty much out of time with you. Uh, this has been fantastic. I want to know: what do you want people to find you if, if they want to, you know, reach out or or follow you on something?
1: That's wonderful. Thanks, Chris. Uh, my Twitter handle is Joel Martin Rubin. It's uh, it's it's all three names I've got: Joel Martin Rubin. Please follow me on Twitter. And um, thank you, Chris, for having me on. This has been great.
0: Joel, fantastic seeing you. Good luck on the campaign. I'm I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. And uh, thanks for joining me. All right, I hope you enjoyed Joel. That was a good interview. Good guy doing God's work, trying to get Joe Biden elected president of the United States. We hope he's successful and I think he will be. I think they will be. I am uh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling like we are turning the corner and I know I know the polls are gonna tighten. We're gonna see a poll that has Trump winning. You watch. And when we do, the freak out will begin. And the media will say, oh, my God. But I have not seen any poll. Here's the number you should look for. 50. 50 as in percent. Now, I I know Biden's over 50 nationally, and that doesn't matter all that much. But when I look at these states, even states that are close, Donald Trump is behind and he's under 45% in most of those states. He's the incumbent president of the United States. Everybody knows who he is. They are making judgments on him. Maybe they are saying, well, let's see what happens between now and election day. I want to give him one more chance. I I, I don't think so. I think that when you're under 50 and you're the incumbent this late in the game, you're done. You're toast. He's on that's why I, I still have hope for Texas. He's under 50. I haven't seen any poll that has him anywhere near 50 in Texas. He's been in the mid 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 40s in Texas. 46, I think is a high water mark of his average in Texas. But his real real clear politics average in Texas is probably around 44%. I'm, not, I'm just guessing right now I haven't looked at it today. I don't see him over 50 in many states. many states North Carolina, Arizona, Minnesota, North, New Hampshire, all these states he's talking about winning. he is nowhere near 50 and he's the incumbent when the incumbent is below 50, he's got a, he or she has got a problem. He actually looks like Hillary in the last election. People have made up their mind. And uh, they've got to make their mind up about Biden. And we were kind of in the same spot four years ago, except for Hillary was on top. But she wasn't crossing 50 in a lot of these polls. She was on top, but she wasn't crossing 50. Now, Biden, in a lot of these polls, is over 50, even where it's close, 51 to 46. Okay. Okay. He's gonna win with 51. Can't lose with 51. Even if even if Trump gets 49, you can't lose with 51. (laughs) Okay. Um, I I just feel like people have made up their mind about Trump, whether they're telling the pollster or not. Maybe you know, but I think they've made up their mind on Trump. It's a question of are you making up your mind for Biden? So Biden's camp has to do a lot of positive Biden message ads. And, you know, you know, other kinds of contact with voters. It can't be all negative Trump. And, and Biden's put out plans on the economy, on healthcare, on climate, on jobs, on social justice. He's got to continue doing that. And the campaign's got to bring that home. Because that's going to move the needle and get people to make up their mind for Biden. I think the people who are against Trump are baked in the cake right now. They are not going to vote for Trump. Whether or not they vote for Biden's another story. So they, you know, Biden's got to make that case to them and get them to the polls. Now, look, the Republicans are going to do everything they can to stop people from voting. So the Democratic Party better be doing everything they can to make sure people can vote. But fret not, America. He is going to lose unless he steals it. So let's be on guard. We got to work hard. This is not over. I'm not saying it's over. In fact, I'm happy that there's some angst among you out there. happy about it because it'll get you to work harder. Adopt the state. There's another podcast that's much bigger than mine, Pod Save America. They've got a thing where you can adopt the state right there with them. Go do it. Check it out. Um, There are other ways you could do that. But you should adopt the state, a swing state, if you're not in a swing state. If you're in a swing state work, work, work. Every single vote in that state counts. Work, work, work. If you live in New York or California, my two biggest, my three biggest states are New York, California, and Texas. In fact, Texas is actually sometimes the biggest state that listens to me, believe it or not. So for my friends in Texas, work hard. I think you could win. I think you could win Texas. I do. My friends in California, New York, get on the phone in Pennsylvania. Get on the phone to Florida. Get on the phone to Wisconsin, to Michigan. Okay, get on the phone to Arizona. Work hard on those campaigns. You can do it. There are ways to do it. Like I said, check out that website. Um, find it. Because it is important that we do it. It's important that we do it. I'm going to do everything I can between now and the election to take this guy down. I'm going to use every platform at my disposal. Again, I never endorse candidates. It's not my thing, but I'm not supporting that guy, as you know. Um, I know I won't be voting for him, and I'll be voting for the one guy who can beat him. So maybe you could read between the lines. Um, maybe maybe my guests that come on can tell you the story about who I'm voting for and where I am, or or maybe the fact that, you know. I can't stand Donald Trump, and he can't stand me. I'm almost done with this podcast. I didn't even talk about the fact that he tweeted at me a couple days ago uh, for the second time, right? This is not the first time. It's the second time he tweeted at me. It doesn't like that I show up on Fox News for four minutes every couple of nights because, you know, I guess it ruins his story time. I was particularly vicious to him on Wednesday night of last week. I was on, uh, you know, immediately following... His chief of staff, Mark Meadows, immediately felt literally like Mark Meadows finished talking. And Martha McAllen said, okay, Chris Hahn, so uh, this new book out. <laughs> and we, we talked about the Bob Woodward book, and I was pretty clear. I looked into the camera. I said, Mr. President, I know you're still watching. It's time for you to resign. Because, you know, as Rachel Maddow put it on her show so brilliantly last week, this is the part in the TV show or the movie about a president, a fictional president, where when all this stuff came out, he would resign. Because the president knew how deadly this thing was, and he didn't care. He wanted to protect the stock market. He wanted to keep having rallies to stroke his ego. He did not do the job as president and protect everyone. And, you know, look, I'm sure we're going to find out that we already know this. Early on in the pandemic, it was only impacting blue states, and particularly cities in blue states, super blue cities. So he didn't care. They weren't his voters. He didn't start caring about it until it started hitting Florida and Texas. It's despicable. It's disgusting. He's a disgusting president. you got to get rid of him. Do whatever it takes, however long it takes, however much time or energy or effort you can give, you got to do it. It's all on the line, baby. It's all on the line. We will not recognize this country four years from now if this guy is still president. All right. I think you've had enough of me for one day. I hope I've made your day a little bit brighter. (laughs) And uh, don't forget to uh, tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn, and tell your friends about this podcast. I really do love it that you are. I'm ChristopherHahn.com as well. And I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for, li- thanks for listening to the Aggressive, Aggressive Podcast.